I really thought I was going to jump into this huge study of Corinthians. Last week, I got as far as two verses. This week, I got up to verse 7. And I wanted to share with you some things that God had placed on my heart. And as I was looking at different things, I again... Sermon writing for dummies is one of my favorites, and it says that you should begin with, with something like an icebreaker. And so there's a story of a children's church leader, and they were about to bring the kids into the sanctuary. And before they brought the kids into the sanctuary, they turned to the children, they said, remember, we need to be quiet when we go in there. Do you know why that is? And one of the children spoke up and said, because there are people sleeping in there? She said, no. But look to the right or left of you and let people know that the sermon will be over soon and they can resume their sleep. There's another story. And this is of a preacher. He's one of those hellfire and brimstone types. And he said during his sermon... He said, if the rapture does not take place, every member of this church will die and stand in judgment. And it was somber in there. This is how he closed this sermon. And so he looks and everyone's somber except for one guy in the front row and he's just smiling. And so the preacher, you know, they, there's a handbook on preaching, I guess. And so he turned it up a notch. You turn up the volume because the guy didn't hear you, I guess. So he says it again. Every member of this church will die and stand in judgment, to which the guy was just like, yeah. And so the preacher goes to like level three nuclear, which is slap the pulpit with both hands and yell it as loud as you can. And he said, every member of this church will die and stand in judgment. And the guy's like, amen, smiling. And so he goes up to the guy after church, aggravated. And he's like, what's going on? How can you just sit there? Did you not hear me say every member is going to die and stand in judgment? And the guy's like, yeah, I did. He's like, so what's up? And the guy says, I'm just a visitor today. I'm not a member of this church. <laughs> so going into what I was studying, let me get this pulpit back here. Looks like it's already set up for my height. And today I wanted to dig into this 1 Corinthians chapter 1 a little more. You often hear people make this statement, we need to be a New Testament church. You ever hear that? Well, here's what's weird. The New Testament church was far from perfect. In fact, it was a mess a lot of times. You had people who had never really been a part of this Christian belief coming together to figure out what church meant. And it could be ugly at times. This is what Paul was dealing with in the things that he was involved in. And so when we look at that, there are lessons, as we said last week, that can be learned from this Corinthian church, which can be applied to today. Last week in Paul's letter, we pulled out the truth that Paul was asking the question indirectly to all of us, who are you? Who are you? We say who we are, but truly in your heart, who are you? This week, I wanted to look at these verses, verses 4 through 7, which I will read. This is New King James. 
I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So lessons that we can learn when you read these verses. Number one, Paul points out, be thankful. Be thankful. This can be a tough one. It seems like we all have the thankful part down at Thanksgiving dinner, right? Where you go around the table and you're like, I'm thankful for my family. Okay, next person. But do you have an attitude of thankfulness all year? Really? Is it there? Paul says, I'm thankful for you. There was a reason that those people were in that Corinthian church. There's a reason that you are part of this church family. What if, just what if for a moment, we stopped focusing on how cursed or blessed we feel today and we focus on the blessings that are overtaking other people in this church? What if? What if Eric walks up to me and he's like, what's going on, man? How are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I am just so excited. I'm just thinking about how Tommy Lanning got blessed with that house. What if someone that doesn't even know our church says, why are you smiling, man? Because I was just thinking about that time that Kevin Province was wanting us to pray for that promotion, and we prayed, and Kevin got that promotion. And they'd be like, who's Kevin Province? I'm sorry, you may not be world famous, but I'd be like, he's some guy at my church. What would the world think of us if that was our level of excitement? Like, I may not be having a good week, but I can point to 27 things that God has done this week in the lives of others that shines brightly, and I need to talk about that. When you hear that word grace, because that's what we're going to dig into today, that word grace, it's something that turns people to Christ. It keeps, strengthens, and increases them in Christian faith, in knowledge, in affection, and it kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. So we hear that word grace, and sometimes we can think that is merely the spark that set this flame of Christian fire in my heart. It is not just a starting place, and it's definitely not a stopping place. Grace is evidence of things which are greater to follow. It's evidence that I am part of a plan that was written before time began. If you want my definition, it's evidence that God did not leave me there. Wherever there was, my God saw me and said, it doesn't stop there. Come on, I've got more. That grace, he points out it was given by Jesus Christ. Because we can throw that word grace around now. Oh, those swans were so graceful on the lake. That ballet was so graceful, I guess. We throw those words around, but never leave Christ out of it because it's not earned it's not something that you and I earned it's not something that he looked down and he said oh look at all those sinners but that one there he is the most moral sinner he earned it God did not do that it was given freely it was given by Jesus Christ it's of him in him and by him it is the great equalizer you have heard people say that death is the great equalizer 
I would argue that grace is the great equalizer because there is no socioeconomic status. There is no sin. There is nothing that is greater than the amount of grace that Jesus Christ can pour out. Regardless of who you are, regardless of where you are, his grace instantaneously can cover. And what I love is when grace writes the story that I look back and it's not a walk of shame. What it is, those are footprints that are now part of the story. They're footprints that are part of a story that those are the footprints of a dead man. And who I speak of now is someone that Jesus has made all things new. His grace is sufficient for now. Paul goes on to say that you have been enriched. Here's what's wild. One of the worst things you can eat now is enriched white bread. It's like they take good bread and they bleach it and they take all the good stuff out of it, but it looks pretty and they cut it up and they serve it to you. It's just weird that the world can take something that means something really good and turn it into something that's really bad for you. And that happens a lot. That word enriched, when you look at it, though, means furnished. In other words, God walks into the spaces in your heart and he looks around and he says, I know what would fit perfectly right there. Oh, you may know a little bit about what's going on, but... A sectional would be great right there. Like God furnishes the whole thing according to how it should be. What would function best? Oh, I know. He says in all utterance and knowledge. I like that it's in that order, Susie. We live in a time when everybody wants their knowledge to go before them. But the truth of the matter is, I like that he says your utterance or your speech goes before your knowledge because the world doesn't care about your theology or your degree on your wall in theology. They care about your actions and what you say if you're a representative of Jesus Christ. That's what they see. That's what they hear. All the other stuff pales in comparison. Every single statement we make is a reflection of who we think Jesus is. Do you want to know why, as a Christian, that it isn't just like someone calls you Karen because you want to speak to the manager? It's because that's a statement of who Jesus is. If you want to go in the kitchen and tell the cook he can't cook at all, and the server, I'm out here getting dehydrated because you didn't fill my iced tea, and you didn't, that's your sermon. That's your sermon. We have this opportunity and we need to take the opportunity. A friend of mine posted this yesterday. He was at a grocery store. He had gotten some things. He gets to the line. There is a price check that is needed. The person behind him, under their breath, is cussing him out. It must be over her breath because he heard it. So he has a decision. And so guess what he does? He pays for her stuff. So she follows him out in the parking lot. And you know what she does? She witnesses to him. She tells him about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and she lays out the case of why he should be a Christian like her. And then she asks him afterward, do you want to pray? And he's like, no, thank you for what you told me, but I'm just not ready to pray with you yet. <laughs> the sermon she preached was in the line, in the actions. 
It wasn't in the parking lot. The sermons we preach are when we think no one's looking. You know, we're out with our church friends and the sermons seem a whole lot different. And I commented on his thing and I said, I guarantee the details of that story will be highly edited by her when she tells her friends at Cracker Barrel tomorrow after church. I guarantee. Those words, it means an extension. An utterance is an extension, almost like a branch on a tree, or in our case, a branch off of a vine. When they see it, I represent something bigger than me. How am I representing it? How am I going about it? Because they may never see Jesus Christ face to face on this earth, but someone who claims to walk in him, they're going to see. And how am I going to represent? It is also, and I love this, it's representative of a pulpit. It's your chance to preach every time you encounter people. Every single time. I am figuring out that I need to get better at building pulpits at gas stations because that is not working for me. (laughs) But I am telling you that every opportunity that we have is an opportunity we should take. Your speech can change how other people look at things. We went to the zoo this past week. We went to the zoo. There's an animal, and I love this animal. You may have seen it. It's called an okapi. An okapi looks like a big gazelle, and it's rust-colored for about three-quarters of it, and the last quarter looks like a zebra's back end, right? And so I've always loved these animals, an okapi. Well, we're walking up, and there's this little kid. He's about four years old, and I guess he can kind of read. And he's like, look at this. It's an okapi. It's an okapi. And he said it like 27 times. So finally, you know, I asked. I'm like, man, what kind of animal is this? And he's like, it's an okapi. He was so convincing that I promise you, if I ever see that animal again with my family, we're going to joke about the okapi. Because what you say can get into people's heads. That some people may think you're ridiculous about the things that you're saying, but can you change their view of how things are? Paul says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, a confirmation. In other words, what you're saying, do you really want those words to come back? We have a way of believing in our war room, our prayer closet, but what happens outside the prayer closet is also a prayer. What comes out of this mouth is also a prayer. And we need to understand that the things that we are speaking, do we really want that to be the things that we're receiving? Like most gospel things, I will relate it to Guido's. And with Guido's, when I call them for a pizza, hi, I would like a large with pepperoni and sausage. And you know what happens on the other end? You want a large with pepperoni and sausage? Yup. There are echoes of the things we are putting out there. And the world hears it. The world hears it. If I go about and I'm just confirming that my heart is negative, what are they going to think of my Jesus? If you wonder why I'm such a proponent of holy living, it's because I don't want my Jesus to be embarrassed by the way that I act. It's because I want the world to understand that I'm not just 90% saved, but I'm 100% saved. Even my mouth, even my actions. I want it to all be together. That word confirmed means established. I think of the signs that are very popular now. You know, Sophie's going to be getting married. You may have gotten one of these signs already. And usually it will show the name, the last name. 
So it may say Pearson, established, 2021. You ever seen those? That's when I got married. Established. It gives this idea when you see it on a business that it's not just something that they're doing on a whim. It's something that you want permanence to be attached to. You want people to look back and say, this is something that they went all in for. This is something that they invested in. This is something that they said was going to be important, and it still stands. We need to be able in our walk to say, I established something in Jesus Christ right here. It may not have been the best time to establish it, but I establish it, and I dig in, and I'm not walking away from those things. I don't want to end up getting things in the wrong order. I don't want my knowledge to go before my words in representing Jesus Christ. The world doesn't want that. He says, so you don't find yourself in a place where you don't have what you needed. Jesus doesn't want you to be embarrassed in front of other people. He doesn't want you to be embarrassed for his sake in front of other people. He wants me to be confident in the Father that I serve in the love that guides me. And when I do those things, there are going to be times that I don't have an explanation. But my God is good. I'm going to share with you in a moment something that is very personal. But that's how I roll. When Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, it's meaning that the grace isn't going to be on the sunny days sometimes. It's going to be when it's heavy. It's going to be when things are tough. And that's when grace is going to come through. His grace has furnished every space that we allow him to furnish. There are going to be times with that furnishing when you come in. And in my office, Janet did this awesome coffee bag ottoman. And there are days I come into my office and, man, I just got to kick my feet up on that ottoman. There are times where what God furnishes sets something up for you to kick your feet up. There are times that people are going to gather around you and you're going to need to have space inside for them to sit down and for you to give them what God has in that moment. And God's like, don't worry, I've got that furnished with that plan that I had. And there are going to be other times that you're going to feel like, I saw a picture of Mateo yesterday after the all-nighter. Teo, I don't even know if he hit the couch all the way. He just aimed for the couch, and he was like halfway off of it, just all contorted because he was so tired. There are going to be times spiritually that God's going to know that I'm just going to come in, and I just need a place to aim for, and I'm going to collapse. And he's like, my grace has got you in that time too, in that moment too. Here's what's wild. In the early 2000s, a big thing were home improvement shows, right? It started out with like one room, trading spaces, you and a neighbor, you'd trade and you'd do a room for each other. Then it would be yards and then it was like whole houses, right? And with this show, like they would have the bus and there would be a whole army of people who would come in. They would do every room, outside, inside. They'd do everything. Here's what's wild about this. None of this could happen if they weren't given permission. It didn't matter how great the designers were, world-renowned. They could not begin the work unless permission was given. I say that because God has plans 
but we haven't given him full permission yet. He's ready to come in and to renovate in ways that we didn't even see possible because he sees it so much, so much grander than we do. But in that show, there was never a space that they just left. And I feel like in our hearts at times, we can say, God, I want you to renovate the outside because I want it to look good for other people. God, I want you to renovate this and this, but I want to hold on to this hurt right now because I don't want your renovation to take place there. Allow him into every space. Allow him to have permission. He won't disappoint you. Verse 7 ends with these words, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those words, eagerly waiting, they are tied with the word patience when you study that word. Patience to me is the next level of that peace that we speak about. It's that place where as Christians we want every storm to end with peace be still and the waters to be still. There are times of peace because I know that my father is holding me even when the storm rages. Here's the part where I get transparent with you. Yesterday would have been Audrey's 13th birthday. In this world, there are things that I don't have the answer for. There are days when I sit in my office, and the office has a door on that end, and a door on this end, and a door in the middle. No one ever uses the door in the middle, but Audrey did. And when I would sit, be getting ready, getting my game face on for church, I wouldn't even hear the door open, and in she would come, like a ninja. And she would walk up with that beat-up stuffed toy hippo under her arm. She'd put her hand on my shoulder. She'd rub my shoulder. She gets that from her Mimi. And she would say to me, are you okay? Yep, I'm okay, Audrey. Is anybody bugging you? No, ma'am. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go make sure that everything's okay out there. And she would leave my office. And there were days that I see that door. 
and my heart hurts. But every time I have that memory, I punctuate that memory with, but I know my God is good. Every single time. And I punctuate it with knowing that there's hope like an anchor that I'm going to see that little face again. That hope like an anchor that says the things that you don't understand in this lifetime. My grace is present in this room. And there is no space that I furnish that I'm not willing to come and sit beside you for as long as it takes. That's the Jesus that I serve. That patience, when Paul talks about running the race with patience that is set before me, there is a level of peace that every time I see that door, my heart hurts. But I know in patience that my God is a good God. And I know that I need to give him permission to go into every space Every single one. And so what I'm going to ask right now is this. If you were honest, are there spaces? Are there rooms in that heart of yours that you have not given him permission? Because see, He's a good God. He is a gentle father. He built those rooms. We're going to pray. Worship team, if you will come. When we do, we're going to have some prayer time today. What I would ask is this. Are there places within your heart that you just need to agree with someone? You got to say, I've kept this door locked for decades. I don't even know at this point how to let God in. I promise you that someone will agree in prayer. It may not be easy, but he is a good father. If you stand, we will pray. Father, right now in this moment, you are a good father. I thank you for everything that you have done. I thank you for the plans that my mind cannot even comprehend and the way you carry them out. Father, I thank you for hope that is like an anchor that no storm of this world can pull from its foundation. And Father, right now I speak peace. And in situations, God, where people don't feel that peace, I pray, Lord, that you would lead us to a place of perfect peace, of patience in knowing that you have this just as much as you did from the beginning of this work of grace that you will until the end. And one day when I stand before you, oh, Father, how wonderful that will be. In the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, amen.